If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. The numbers told the story they always do. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. It is a numbers game here on VSIN. Happy to be with you. I'm Jeff Parles. He is Brian Ortega. This hour, Jake Asman, ESPN Houston, the wheelhouse, will be with us to talk all things AFC East after we've gone through all the team previews. And then Brady Cannon joins us at the end of the show for some golf talk. Ortega, you had a question during the break, and it kind of spun into a different discussion. Your question to me was, who has a better second season, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? And that got spun into, okay, which of the second-year quarterbacks? Because, of course, we're actually dealing with a second-year quarterback a little bit later when we break down Houston and Davis Mills, who seemingly gets forgotten, even though Davis Mills actually played pretty well last year, all things considered, especially after the early onslaught where he looked totally lost. To answer your question, it's Lawrence. Just because of what we documented last week with the Bears, the Bears just just a horrible job building around Justin Fields. These, these years of the rookie contract are so critical to get it right. And Chicago has gotten it so, just on paper, so wrong that I think just by default, Trevor Lawrence is the guy that would have a better season between the two of them. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if I'm wrong because if Fields is as good as I thought he was coming out of Ohio State, he could even carry that collection of mediocrity a little bit further than you would expect. But it kind of devolved into a conversation, Brian, and we'll get to the Colts in a second, of the second-year guys, which, of course, 
Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Davis Mills, amazingly enough, the six. Who is the best season of all of them? And I'm willing to hear anyone's take on that. I feel like Mac Jones is going to be the most consistent of the bunch. And I also feel that Zach Wilson is going to have the widest range of the bunch. Where Zach Wilson, it wouldn't shock me if it's, uh-oh, the Jets are going to have to draft another quarterback in, the, in 2024. Or Zach Wilson turns into a legitimate NFL starter. Wouldn't shock me. That I, that range just isn't as far for Lawrence, where I just don't see Lawrence going to the being bad to the point of like, oh my God, Jacksonville might have to might have to give up on this guy after year three if he doesn't improve. I don't think we get that point, but we could get the high end for Lawrence. But again, that schedule is just so brutal for Jacksonville two through weeks through to ten. Just just bad sequencing more than anything for Jacksonville, and that's kind of the story of what it ends up being for a bunch of these teams that should be improved this year. Just horrible schedule sequencing in the end. All right, to Indy we go. The odds on favorites to win the AFC South. Minus 115 on the Indianapolis Colts. And Brian, you want something that will surprise you here? Something that will surprise you? The last time the Indianapolis Colts won the AFC South was? When was that? How about 2014. That stunned me when I looked at when I when I went through that uh, last night in the prep for the show. You think in the consistent playoff team usually, they haven't won this division in eight years, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Of course, the 2014 season for the Indianapolis Colts, uh, the Colts were the four seed in the AFC. They beat Cincinnati. In their first playoff game, they actually upset Peyton Manning in Denver at mile high and then got absolutely obliterated in the AFC title game by the by the New England Patriots. That was, of course, leading into the decision not to run the ball from the one-yard line by, De- by, by Bevel in Seattle. Looking at Indianapolis, win total 10.5, high win total, juiced under, though, at minus 145. Make the playoffs, minus 190 on Indy, plus 155 on the take back on the miss. Minus 120, according to these odds. So I guess these odds are bouncing around here at BetMGM even during the show here. 12 to 1 to win the AFC South, 25 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Of course, Matt Ryan. Another year, another Indianapolis quarterback. Traded from Atlanta. Matt Ryan, you know, here's the deal with Matt Ryan. I'm in the camp that Matt Ryan is more than likely done at this point. But here's the thing. When you're looking at what it, Matt Ryan needs to be this year, he just needs to be better than Carson Wentz was a year ago. So the standards are not that high for Matt Ryan. If Matt Ryan goes out and does what he did with the Falcons last year, which was 67% completion percentage, nearly 4,000 yards passing, 20 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, Indianapolis will win this division. Indy will win the division. And Jonathan Taylor, who, if it wasn't for Cooper Cup's insane season, would have won Offensive Player of the Year. The second best running back in the NFL just behind Derrick Henry. An offensive line that 
is still still near the top of the league, if not the top. Wide receiving core where I expect Michael Pittman to have an, a, a big year as their number one receiver. Alec Pierce, I think, will actually have a pretty nice impact right away to rookie out of Cincinnati. But Indianapolis, again, the, the one thing when going through this, because I'm in the camp that Indy will win this division because someone has to win this division. I think 10 and a half, I would bet the under. I still would look at 10 and 7, probably being 10 and 7, 9 and 8 being the record for Indianapolis. Their defense is still fine. By the way, Darius Leonard now going as Shaquille Leonard. I read that yesterday. That's true. Okay. So Shaquille Leonard now in the middle there, always a potential defensive player of the year, longer shot. They get a Yannick Ngakwe coming over from Vegas to help out that defensive line that, again, defensive line a little bit underrated. DeForest Buckner, as we know, great player. Quiddy Pay, I think, will take a leap in year two. They signed to Stephon Gilmore uh, uh, from Carolina. I don't know how much Gilmore really has in the tank as a big-time corner, but it's something. But Indianapolis, if we, if we look at Indy's schedule here, Indianapolis opens the season, and we already talked about this. Indianapolis' schedule is bizarrely put together. Five division games in the first seven weeks. And then the only remaining division game is home game against Houston week 18. Very... <laughs> Schedule makers did some weird things this year. And I know you have to because the extra game makes it even harder to make the schedule. But five of the first eight games in division, all your Tennessee and Jacksonville games done by week seven. Week seven. So they play one divisional game after October. Five divisional games before Halloween, even. Very strange scheduling for Indianapolis. Do you think this is the NFL just not caring about the no, AFC I, I, South? I, no, I th- like so. So <laughs> no, I don't like, think it's that price. So being a Packer fan, we we follow the schedule quite often. It's almost as we always have a divisional games in the first couple of weeks. And then the very last couple of weeks as well. Well, week eighteen, of course, we know is a requirement. Right, at this of course, point. but it just feels like. This is such a bizarre schedule, this is, like this, you said. So we've had some weird ones. We talked about Baltimore yesterday. Four AFC East games to begin the year. The Jets, four AFC North games to begin the NFL season. But this is just very weird. And it's actually, in all honesty, not a bad thing for Indianapolis that these games are early. Now, you may want to argue, ah, it's not great to have your divisional games early. What happens if you're still working things out? Guys, the divisional opponents are not good. So... Your schedule, because you play, it's front-loaded with divisional opponents, and really until we get through week eight, because you have Washington at home then, Indy's going to be favored in six of eight games, maybe even seven of eight if Kansas City starts poorly, and Indy looks sharp against the two bad teams on the road. In Houston and Jacksonville, again, we know Indy hasn't won in Jacksonville in eight years now, but some point that trend has to end <laughs> and you look at the back end of the schedule and you know the schedule's not really that difficult really isn't NFC East 
cross with the charge, or excuse me, cross with the uh, AFC West as well. That extra 17th game is at Minnesota, which that is as coin flippy on paper to me in a week 15 spot as you can. By the way, very weak, late bye for Indy, week 14 this year. But the Colts again, someone has to win this division. And even though I don't love this Indianapolis team, when you put all the pieces together here, the way the schedule sequencing is, the fact that Matt Ryan only really has to outperform what Carson Wentz did a year ago. Tennessee looking very weak this year in comparison to what they've been the last two, two three years. Of course, AFC title game is a six seed, division championship, division championship. Indy will more than likely win this division. Now, I don't see them being a threat to do anything in the playoffs. I think they're far behind all the AFC West teams. I think they're behind the top two teams in the AFC North, too, for that mention. And they're clearly behind Buffalo. So I just listed off six teams at least that Indy, I think, is worse than even though they'll be in the postseason. It also looks like their tough games are really spaced out. They're tough really games. spaced out. Uh, Kansas City week three. I guess you can technically say Kansas City and Tennessee back-to-back is not the easiest back-to-back with Denver after that going a mile high. Raiders and Eagles, not a great back-to-back. But they have have some tougher back-to-backs. But again, when you look at that, then it's like, oh, you have Houston and Jacksonville back-to-back. You have the Giants and Houston back-to-back then this season. Indianapolis will win this division. But they are not a real threat to do anything in the playoffs. And it could honestly look like last year where maybe Indy stuns us, gets the one seed in the AFC, but then bows out early in the playoffs, kind of like Tennessee did last year. That scenario would not surprise me at all as well. We're going to Houston, bare bones and all with the Texans next here on a numbers game. On a numbers game here on VSIN. Happy to be with you. I'm Jeff Parles. He's Brian Ortega. Excitement brewing in the studio for what we have coming up right now. Uh, we do have excitement, though, for 15 minutes from now. Jake Asman, host of the Wheelhouse in Houston, will join us to talk all things AFC South. You know, Brian, I, I really wanted to come on here today and say something outlandish in this division, but we really are kind of just going through this as chalk, total chalk. So far in this division. And Indy's going to win it because their schedule plays out nicely. Tennessee's probably going to be back to being average again. The Jaguars' schedule's brutal week two through ten. Is there anything fun we can get with this next team? Is there anything fun here other than maybe Lovey Smith's magnificent beard? Not really with the Houston Texans. Of course, the Texans last year on paper, looked like the worst roster we had seen in probably about five years in the NFL. Been a while. And yet the Houston Texans, and again, shout out to David Culley, who had to be, who really just looked like he had no idea what he was doing on the sidelines. They won week one against Urban, and then Urban, of course, said it was like, oh, it's like playing Alabama every week. And it's like, you're saying that after playing the Texans. <laughs> uh David Coley did as well as he humanly could have with this team. They won four games. 
last year. And David Coley got fired, which was totally unjust. There's no reason to fire David Coley for Houston. Silly. Let him, let him coach another way. Like, the man's going to get one opportunity to be a head coach of the NFL. You're really only going to give him one year with that horrible team? Let's give him a second crack at it. Maybe he could win a few more games. Uh, they promote Lovey Smith, which, again, Lovey, another guy who I kind of think Lovey, Lovey's gotten a bad rap over these years, Brian. Like, I mean, Lovey made a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's an accomplishment in its own right. I, I mean, Lovey at Illinois, at the college ranks, was bad. I'm not arguing that. But Lovey is an NFL head coach closer to league average than I think he's given credit for. And now with Houston, you look at their betting profile. Four and a half is the win total. Brian, you want 14 to 1 to make the playoffs? You want that? Uh, no. I, that would be th- I would need yeah. 34 to 1 at least to take that. Minus 5,000 to miss, 25 to 1 to win the AFC South, 150 to 1 to win the AFC, 300 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Don't worry about those numbers. They're irrelevant. They're not winning the Super Bowl. Not winning the AFC. They're not winning the AFC South. I think the big thing with Houston, because as you look at their roster, why is Brandon Cook still on this team? Why didn't they trade him for some assets? Draft picks. Someone be willing to give you at least a reasonable two draft picks potentially for Cooks, even though he's on the back end of his career. You know, also, Brian, I was going through this with Brandon Cooks, and I just have to make sure that I have my notes right. You know how old Brandon Cooks is? What would you guess how old Brandon Cooks is? I would say Brandon Cooks is at least 30. He's 28. I would have guessed he was 32. Feels like Brandon Cooks has hung around a long time. He's younger than I am still. But he is the one guy, at least pass catcher-wise, like Brandon Cooks is still a legitimate NFL wide receiver. Nico Collins, Philly Dorsett, Chris Connolly, Chris Moore, the other guys you would anticipate getting targets this year. Their tight ends are Brevin Jordan and Faroe Brown. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> For the pass-catching options at the tight end position. Marlon Mack, Rex Burkhead. You see some Damian Pierce. A little bit as well, the rookie. You see him. But Davis Mills is your starting quarterback here. Now, Brian, this is... Going into this year, remember Davis Mills they, was the first non-first-round quarterback in twenty twenty in the twenty twenty-one draft. And Davis Mills, at one point, we thought someone could trade back into the back end of the first round, which would have been a terrible mistake. But Houston did use the first pick in the third round on him at pick sixty-seven. And all things considered, I thought Davis Mills actually afforded himself pretty well last year. For a guy that I, I, the first things we saw of Mills looked pretty disastrous last year. But in the end, Davis Mills almost throws 400 passes, 67% completion percentage, 2,600 yards, 16 touchdowns, 10 picks, with really not a lot of talent around him. Davis Mills played well last year. And I now think has a legitimate shot to be a starter in this league and a starter in Houston for the time being. But the way that this is constructed for Houston, where if Davis Mills underperforms and regresses, which could happen as well. All right. 
we'll we'll be fine. We'll have top three pick in this draft. We'll end up with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. It's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all for Houston. But Davis Mills was a pleasant surprise last year. Other than, like, look, in that game against Carolina, where he had to come in, or excuse me, he actually started that game. It looked great, even though the numbers don't look terrible. The Buffalo game was obviously an abject disaster. What are you going to do? But other than that Buffalo game, you take that Buffalo game out, his numbers actually were really good, like I said. Because he had a 50% completion percentage in that game and threw four interceptions on 21 passes in inclement weather, and they lost 40 to nothing. Not sure if you know, Brian, losing 40 to nothing is not what you want to do. Is that You're not supposed to do that? Not supposed to do that. But again, I, I thought Davis Mills... And also the Indy, the, the thirty-one nothing lost to Indy, but I, I, Mills got hurt in that game. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we saw Taylor in that game. Actually, that was the game Taylor started. I should say, and then Mills came in the rest of the way. But Davis Mills has the potential to be a total, totally average quarterback this year, which would probably be good enough for Houston to get their goal of probably three, four wins. You look at props here for Houston real quick, and then we'll look at their schedule because we're going to be going through their schedule to try to figure out how that four and a half looks out here. 3,700 and a half for Mills on passing yards. 21 and a half passing touchdown. By the way, Mills, Mills along with those other second-year quarterbacks, 14 and a half on the interceptions. So remember, those interceptions have been higher. I actually think that's a pretty reasonable under at 14 and a half for Mills interceptions. Cooks, 950 and a half yards, five and a half touchdowns. I don't want anything to do with this. But Davis Mills having a better-than-expected season would not shock me. Now, will that mean that Houston will win a few more games than they're supposed to? No, I don't think it will. You look at Houston's schedule here. You open the season with Indy at home. You're, Brian, they're already more than a touchdown underdog in this game. They're a seven-and-a-half-point underdog at home to Indy week one. Man, I'm going to have a lot of ugly underdogs, I think, on my betting card week one. I haven't made anything yet because, I, again, I know there are some people that will go out bet week one months in advance. That's not how I'm wired. Can't do it. What happens if someone gets hurt in the preseason? Can't do it. And, like, this team, like, the players might play, you know? <laughs> it's like... I, Mills will get some reps in the preseason. I feel pretty confident on that. Looking at their schedule now, though. Indy, as we said, they're seven-and-point underdog week one at home. Pretty brutal week two also at Denver. They're probably going to lose that game. First home game for Russell Wilson. But then after that, even though they're both on the road, winnable games at Chicago and winnable game at Jacksonville. Remember the main, I know everyone points to other things with the Chargers missing the playoffs last year, but the main reason the Chargers missed the playoffs was because they got destroyed by essentially Houston's practice squad because of COVID issues late in the season. And what was another absurdist result that happened last year? But you eyeball the schedule. They cross with the AFC West. You get Cleveland in a, in a cross game at home. Uh, the extra game is Chicago, which is a pretty good draw on the road. Houston replicating 4-13 and 13 would make a lot of sense to me, Brian. 4-13, and 13 again, feels right, which I guess would put me under to 4.5. But them getting to 5 if they win a few road games they're not supposed to early in the year, 
when there'll be a dog in Chicago and likely will be a dog in Jacksonville. They could push five. I think five and five is their max, though. Two and fifteen would not shock me either with the roster they have again. That defense just has nothing. I mean, Derek Stingley Jr. walks right in the room and is their best defensive player right away. But it they'll be more competitive than we think. They'll cover games as big underdogs. Because Lovey, I do think, is a pretty reasonable improvement over Coley. And as we said, Davis Mills, all things considered, wasn't terrible last year. He's actually pretty reasonable. And there was a legitimate case to be made that Mills was actually the second-best rookie quarterback last year. I think he would say that he was the second-best rookie quarterback last year based off the numbers. Only Mac Jones was better. Jake Asman's going to join us next. Jake, of course, one of the one of the three hosts of The Wheelhouse on ESPN Radio in Houston. We'll get his thoughts on the whole AFC South coming up next. A numbers game here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Football betting guides are coming soon, and there is no better way to prepare for college and pro football this season. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Reserve your copy of the football betting guides today and get access to everything we offer for the entire football season with a VEASAN all-access subscription. Make this football season your best ever. Subscribe now, vcin.com slash subscribe. This is a numbers game here on vcin. I'm, I'm Parlay. He's Ortega. Happy to be with you this morning. And now with us, uh, call this call this next guest uh, a friend and uh, a darn good radio host as well down in the city of Houston, uh, co-host of The Wheelhouse on ESPN Houston 97.5 and also uh, – I see him on Sports Map Radio as well, Jake Asman show. Uh, it is Jake Asman of uh, ESPN Houston. Jake, uh, thanks as always for being on with us. Jeff, anytime, man. I always appreciate you having me on. Hope all's well. So uh, all is all is going well. Uh, it wasn't. It was not a hundred degrees here yesterday, which might have been the biggest upset wow. of all in recent times. <laughs> Jake, uh, of course, you're in Houston. Now we just did. A little bit of a Texans preview. I, we'll start there and we'll work our way from the bottom to the top here in this division. But Jake Davis, uh, Davis Mills was actually better than we well, than he gets credit for last year. The numbers actually looked pretty good when it was all said and done. Of course, a new uh, new coach in Lovey Smith taking over for David Coley. Uh, win totals four and a half here for Houston. Jake, uh, just going through it, I think four is right. But where do you see the Texans ending up this year? I think the win total is is probably pretty fair if you just look at the roster. I will say this team a year ago did win four games, and they had a head coach in David Culley who, I mean, if you actually watch the games, and I recognize people were not watching Houston Texans football <laughs> on a week-in, week-out basis, he was not a very good coach at all. So I think with Lovey Smith, they, they, they significantly upgraded there. I understand Lovey is the head coach for the third time, but – well, Lovey Smith, I, I think, has proven in his career at the minimum he could be an average NFL head coach. So I think they upgraded there. The, the, the question with the Texans, and you already mentioned Davis Mills, 
It's Davis Mills, though, right? I mean, he's a second-year player. He is going to be given every opportunity to be this team's starter. They have had multiple chances to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield when they made the Deshaun trade, and everything I've been told from people in the building and everything they have said publicly is that they really like Davis Mills. They want to give him a a real chance to prove uh, if he could be the long-term answer there. They're going to have two first-round picks. It's possible, depending on a Deshaun suspension in Cleveland, it could be two picks in the top ten. So if Davis Mills doesn't perform, they could certainly be drafting his replacement in the first round. But if he plays like how he finished the year the last five or six teams or so, and you project that out over the course of a full season, you know that's, a, that's an above-average quarterback right there. So the question for the Texans is going to be, you know, what is Davis Mills? And you know, on top of that, how much does Davis Mills have around him when you look at the, the weaponry that they're giving him to actually go out there and prove he could be the guy? So I think they're going to win in that four- to five-win range. And if Davis Mills takes a big step, though, and he's better than anyone expects, yeah, then, yeah, maybe they could surprise and definitely go over that win total and you know, maybe win six, seven games. Seven games, uh, Lovey Smith should be in coach of the year consideration, Jake. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, the, the real question, though, is just how good Davis Mills is and just how much better can this defense be? You know, if you look at the raw numbers last year, the Texans defense kept them in a lot of games, but they were just burnt out because they were on the field so much. Texans is the worst rushing uh, offense in the league, and Mills didn't really put it together till the last five or six games, as we talked about, Jeff. So mm-hmm. you know, they added Derek Stingley. They drafted Jalen Petrie. You know, they, they should they, they, they signed a plethora of guys on defense. Their defensive line with John Grenard and a couple of others is actually a little better than probably most people realize. I'm not going to sit there and tell you this is a great team because they're certainly not. But I do think there's a chance they go over their win total. It won't be by much, but if I actually had to make a play, I might actually go over the four and a half. Yeah, I, look, five and 12 wouldn't stun me just on the basis of, like you said, uh, Lovey, Lovey is an upgrade over Coley. Uh, you, you and I agree. On that, Jake, let's uh, let's go to the projected top team in this division here. We'll, we'll go to Indianapolis, and just going through this, Jake, there is one really weird scheduling quirk with the Colts. Seven weeks, Jake, they play five divisional games the first seven weeks of the season, and some would say, "Oh, this could work against them because they're playing all these division games early in the season." But I would argue that this is going to be really good for Indianapolis because you're playing a weaker part of your schedule when you're trying to figure out what Matt Ryan truly is on this team. I think it's a great point. You know, I I had not even noticed that they play all those divisional games to start the year. I mean, I, I think it's a good thing, right? You're going to get the Texans who are trying to work in a bunch of new players, and they're obviously having a new head coach with Lovey Smith. The same thing could be said with Doug Peterson with the Jaguars. And the Titans are certainly the, the second-best team in that division, but I don't think the Tennessee Titans necessarily scare the Colts. I think Indy is rightfully the favorites, and you know maybe getting off to a good start, like it seems like their schedule has set them up to be able to do that. We'll give them that confidence they need, kind of a race that Carson went stink for, for, you know, because of the way their season ended a year ago down in Jacksonville. So I think Indy's in a pretty good spot here to maybe get a lot of people to buy into them as a legit you know, playoff threat if they get off to that good start, as you alluded to. Yeah, for me, Jake, going through this last night and prepping for this division, it was, all right, someone's got to win this division. It'll likely be Indy. But there is one path, though, for the Colts where they could be like Tennessee last year, where they run through the regular season, surprise everyone, get the one seed, and and again, didn't work out for Tennessee. But there is an opportunity where the AFC playoffs, because of how good the AFC West is, maybe Buffalo 
slow start to the year hurts them like it did last year. Maybe the playoffs go through Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Right. And if you beat up on the teams in your own division, you got a real chance. You got a real chance. And I think the Tennessee comparison is great because we literally saw it last year. So I like Indy. I think if Matt Ryan goes out there and he just manages their offense. They have enough on, you know, with their running game with Jonathan Taylor. They got a good enough on the blind. They obviously have a solid head coach in Frank Reich, and their defense is still very good. This is a team that should win double-digit games and, and certainly be a first-place team in their own division. Jake, how hard is the regress going to hit Tennessee this year? I'm with you, Jeff. I, I just, I'm kind of waiting for the other, the other shoe to fall with the Titans, so to speak. I mean, I thought last year Rabel did a great job overachieving with that group. I know. Both he and then John Robinson, their GM, were the respective coach and executives of the year. I just don't know how sustainable that is, right? You lose A.J. Brown. I understand you drafted his replacement, but you're relying a lot on a rookie to come in and fill that void. And I just, I've never been the biggest Ryan Tannehill fan. I think he's solid. I don't know if you're ever going to win big with that guy. So I, I, I'm with you. I think we could see some regression there from Tennessee. The, uh, the only team we haven't mentioned so far in this segment, by the way, Jake Asman with us right now, uh, ESPN Houston, one of the hosts of The Wheelhouse, uh, which you, uh, you, you hear weekdays on ESPN Houston. Jake, uh, Jacksonville, of course, arguably the worst head coach season of all time last year from Urban Meyer. They win three games. Trevor Lawrence disappoints for the most part. An adult in the room now with Doug Peterson as the head coach. What do you make of this Jacksonville team going into, let's face it, what will be a critical year for evaluating what Trevor Lawrence can be in this league? Let me say this. No one was given more of a pass last year than Trevor Lawrence. Part of it is because of the Urban Meyer situation, and that's a legitimate thing to bring up, of course. But I think a lot of it also had to do with the fact, well, he's in Jacksonville, and nobody cares about the Jacksonville Jaguars, if we're being honest. So this is a big year for Trevor Lawrence. We kept hearing about how he's the – quarterback prospects and Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning or John Elway, you know, he better take a big step because I think the Jaguars, even though they may be overpaid for a lot of what they did in free agency, they clearly have improved the roster. They added a Super Bowl winning head coach who is, you know, a supposedly great play caller in Doug Peterson. So Trevor Lawrence better take a big step. If this team flames out again and they're picking near the top of the draft, I mean, I think you have to have legitimate questions about whether or not Trevor Lawrence is ever going to be the guy if he struggles again this year. It's pretty amazing that that even could be in consideration, Jake. With like you said, like the best prospect at quarterback since Andrew Luck, and again, uh, Trevor Lawrence underachieving last year, led the league in interceptions. But again, I, I, I'm just going to be fascinated to see what he does without Urban Meyer there. Again, just how bad that tenure was. He's Jake Asman, everyone. Again, you can get him on the tweets. At his name, Jake Asman, A-S-M-A-N is how you spell Asman, one of the co-hosts of The Wheelhouse, which you get 3 o'clock Central Time to 7 o'clock Central Time every weekday afternoon. Jake, it's always a pleasure, man. Good to catch up with you, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Likewise, Jeff. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'll be at Circa in August, and I can't wait to link up. Oh, look at that. See, the man knows where to go. Be it probably be at Stadium Swim, one of the hottest days of the year as well. Jake Asman, everyone, again, uh, co-host of uh, The Wheelhouse on ESPN Houston. I, I will say this, one last thing on the AFC South, because the order of finish, because we got our guy Braden Canning kinda coming up next to talk about the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Indy wins the division, Tennessee finishes second, Jacksonville finishes third, Houston finishes fourth. 
this is one of those divisions where as we talked about it more today, I think my initial thought that Indy's only going to win the division for needing someone to win the division, Indy's going to run away with this thing. The rest of the division just not up to par. Brady Cannon joins us in studio next here on a numbers game. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that can be redeemed for online credit like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas, you can convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining shows, hotel rooms, and plenty more at over 20 MGM properties located on the Strip in Vegas and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards, sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. So sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You must be 21 or older to place a wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Final segment here on a Wednesday here on a numbers game. I'm Jeff Parles, Brian Ortega here as well. Brady Cannon in the flesh here in studio. It's a Wednesday. Yes. We're here to talk golf once you, again. You, uh, you nice little vacation last week, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's Some, good. Good to see you back. You got a, uh, got a little color as well. You're yep, doing yep. great, Brady. Some nice time off, clear the head and start to get ever more ready for football. Before we get to the Rocket Mortgage Classic real quick, have, how far into your football prep are you right now at this point in July? Or is that really actually, an August undertaking Actually, for it really starts to kick in for me today. Okay. Uh, after I get back to the office, uh, I'm going to start diving into a bunch of stuff. I've read a couple of books already, so some superficial prep uh, so far. have taken a look at week one uh, and all the point spreads and whatnot, but uh, probably for the next 30 days will be the full-fledged push. Contest-wise this year, you know what you're going to do? Well, the usuals, you know. Um, I've got that one ring. I'm trying to get that blue right. coat. So uh, I want to add a blue coat to the uh, to the collection. But I think I'm going to dabble in Survivor this year for the first okay. time. It, it's, it's never been my forte, uh, Survivor. But when you can turn a 1,000 into a million, I think you have to take a shot. Oh, well, I would say so. But again, that, it just... The, Gil, obviously, Gil is the number one fan of Survivor at the <laughs> network. I, I think that's a pretty safe. Fan, pretty, I think, is treating it lightly. Yeah, I think that's a pretty <laughs> safe way to put it. But it just, you know, it. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do this year. I, I know, uh, I know, our, our guy Wes Reynolds and I are, are going to run it back. Oh, good. You guys uh, had a good year we, last year. We, we had a good year, but again, it's just so hard in these in these picks contests, and it's fine trying to figure out which contest is going to have less people. Because mm. the more di the, the more people in a field, it'll be the Westgate. I think. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. The Super Contest will probably have less entries than Circa. It's, than it's Circa. very interesting. We were talking about this, and, and if you try and figure out which is giving you kind of the better positive EV, mm -hmm. Circa has greater amount of dollars paid out. It has a greater number of winners paid. I, I think they pay the top 100. They, they, Is it they, top they, 50 or top 100? I have to double check it. Circa pays out more at the end of the year. Circa also has the booby prize. Yeah. So if you go have a horrible year and horrible quarters, you can do that. Westgate has started doing quarterly payouts in those three-week And they've contests. got even more this year. Right. They've got even more quarterly or in-season payouts, if you will. 
and you're competing against less people. So I, I think, you know, I didn't break down all the math. We'd have to ask somebody else to do that for us. But I think your odds are pretty equal between the two contests, given all the, you know, variables. Yeah, it, it will be a decision that is made. We very well may do what we did last year and go into both. Yeah. So uh, it, it's just a matter of trying to figure that out over these next few weeks. Survivor, I, I want to do Survivor, Brady. I, I'm just week one this year. I, I know you already looked at week one. All so the home like, dogs. All these home dogs. Uh, in the past, it would be like, all right, you know what? I'll just take the I'll take the, the Thursday night game. If I lose, I can rebuy on Saturday. You <laughs> can't do that this year with Buffalo and the Rams. You can't right, do that. Right. So it's just one of those. It's like, well, do I really? And want- are you really getting into a contest saying, you know what? If I lose a thousand, I'm going to spend another thousand. Yeah, yeah, well, that too, I, and also I, I too, like, that's I don't, a, I don't, that's kind of a defeatist attitude. I, I don't feel like blowing a dime in one day. Right. Which is essentially yeah. what would what would end up happening on on, on a season long contest. And again, like looking at it, like, do I really want Indianapolis and Matt Ryan's first game as a cold on the road at Houston? We've seen that scenario before <laughs> when like they were at Jacksonville ago. in Week One. Yep, took out about forty percent of the field. Exactly, and uh, it just Survivor is going to be. If you get through Week One this year, I think this is going to be the the biggest carnage we've ever seen in Week One. Could be because of the way that just the way that the, way the that spreads are. Yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't shock me like, hey, it could come down to Seattle and Denver on, on Monday night and be like, oh, my goodness, we could be losing half the field if Seattle <laughs> knocks out uh, beats Denver week one on that on that Monday night. All right, Brady, let, let's get to golf. Uh, first off, how did how did you do last week? Uh, I, I on was vacation? on vacation. Did you, so you, I, I you didn't just took the whole yeah. week off. You I did make pretty well bets. for the British Open. Good. Uh, did not hit the winner, hit a few top 20s, did really well in my matchups, um, probably broke about even. We did win our uh, majors draft that we have here. Yes, with a lot I heard of locals. that. Yes. Yeah. So Wes and I actually won two of the four major drafts this year Very with all nice. of our local peers. So that was good. That, that helped. That, that, that is, that's always a good, not, only, not only a little more uh, cash in your pocket, more bragging rights for the oh, two yeah. of you, which sure. is also uh, important, as we know. So this week, Brady, Rock and Mortgage Classic, they're in Detroit. Birdie Fest tournament yeah, yet again. Yeah, it's going to be a birdie fest. And if you look at the way these holes set up, you've got uh, three of the four par fives are reachable. One is pretty lengthy, over 600 yards. Four of the par fours are less than 400 yards. And then two of the par threes are going to play in the neighborhood of 150 yards. And what it all boils down to when I looked at these holes is I think these players are going to face a number of shots that are 150 yards or less when they approach the green. And so I really leaned on that stat heavily. Who's really good from 150 yards or less with their wedge play? It's also going to come down to having a hot putter. I played Keegan Bradley at 45 to 1. He's now down to 35 or 40. Um, But surprisingly, this guy has never been a good putter. But he's having Mm -hmm. a tremendous season with the putter. And he makes a lot of birdies. So he he made my card. Uh, Russell Henley at 55 to 1. I've I've seen him at 60. Uh, He is actually the best player in the field in proximity to the hole from less than 150 yards. And he's a Donald Ross specialist. We're, we're playing a Donald Ross course next week as well for the Wyndham at Sedgefield. And uh, Russell Henley has had great success on Donald Ross design. So I like the way he matches up. Same thing for Chris Kirk. I played Chris Kirk at 60 to one. I've seen him down to 45. Next to Henley, he's the second best player in the field with a wedge in his hand from less than 150. 
Uh, if there's two of the premier Donald Ross specialists in the field this week, it's probably Webb Simpson and Siwoo Kim. And I took a shot with Siwoo Kim. The last four times he's played Sedgefield next week's uh, venue, he's finished second, fifth, third, and first. So it hasn't quite translated over to the Detroit Golf Club yet, but maybe it will this week. Um, I just like that angle with Siwoo Kim. Scott Stallings, I played at 72 to 1. This guy is really good when it comes to a birdie fest. He's one of the best players in the field at wedge play and putting. He just finished eighth at the Travelers and fourth at the John Deere. Uh, the Travelers also has the same type of putting surfaces that we'll find this week here in Detroit. So I thought Scott Stallings made a lot of sense. And then I took two really long bombs, Jeff. Chase Seifert and Andrew Novak. You probably haven't even heard of those guys. I, I know who Seifert is. I have not heard Andrew Novak. They're before, both at though. 300 to one. And, and admittedly, I had heard very little of them before <laughs> as well. But incredibly, they really pop on the stats for wedge play at less than 150 yards. Now they're, hmm. you know, they're 300 to one for a reason. They're not tremendous players. They're not great putters. Again, this is just a flyer, um, but when you look at the stats, these guys are really good with that sharp wedge play, you know, from, say, 100 to 150 yards. So I took a flyer with the two of them, uh, each at 300 to 1. I, I was hopeful you were going to get, like, a Robert Garrigus mention oh, or something. Boy. Something way, way Isn't down he the a live guy already? No, he, he is. He's still. He's, uh, he is playing this week. He's still he on, on the good side. Board. Yeah, at least for now, at least. Uh, you're not doing anything with the live. Correct? No, no. It, it and I said this to Gil a long time ago. It's almost a matter of principle for me. Okay. I, I don't want to support Respect that. I don't really want to support that tour, whether it be betting or watching. It's hard to watch anyway. I mean, you can't even find a leaderboard hardly online. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Ought to be an interesting off season. Yeah, I would. I would say so. Uh, I, the, the live news yesterday. Sergio Garcia wants to keep his Ryder Cup eligibility and. Sorry, sir. Didn't, uh, didn't want to resign so did Henrik from the DP. Stenson. Well, again, he's already lost his captaincy, which, by the way, just make it easy, by the way. Just give a water to Molinari the captaincy. Ryder Cup's in, in, in well, Italy. Well, what next I don't year. understand for Stenson is why not wait until after the Ryder Cup if you're going to join the Live Tour? And second of all, I think it's awful to not honor the commitment. You know, that, that's, that's a big deal to be awarded the captaincy of the Ryder Cup. And you just ditched that a couple months ahead of time. Well, That's always, bad. I, I was always going to remember this guy for his final round duel with Mickelson to win the British Open. Now he's got another little notch on his resume that's uh, in the negative column. Brady, do you have any matchups this week or no? Yeah, four matchups. Uh, Chris Kirk, let's see. Chris Kirk at minus 150 over Kevin Streelman. Adam Svensson at plus 130 over Mackenzie Hughes. That price has come down a little bit. Max Homa at minus 150 over Adam Scott. And then I also took Kevin. Kisner at plus 140 over Cam Davis, your defending champ. That price has come down a little bit as well. Long shots, of course. Yep. Already Eason.com slash podcast. Eason.com, where you can find that. You also find it overnight as well, leading into the tournament here uh, in Detroit. Brady, pleasure as always. You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone downstairs. I'm Jeff Barles. This has been a numbers game. The Lombardi line, Ben Wilson, Mike Pritchard coming next.